Good morning. It is great to be here today on this beautiful, sunny Lord's Day and to study a portion of God's Word with you this morning. We're going to be continuing our, our series that we've entitled God in the Ruins, examining the different minor prophets of the Old Testament. The title of this morning's uh, topic is Hope Remains, a study of the book of Zephaniah. Now, Zephaniah was written somewhere between 635 to 625 BC during the years of King Josiah. Josiah was crowned king at eight years old, and he was the son of the wicked king Ammon and the grandson of the most wicked king Manasseh. Now, Josiah beat the odds because he was one of the few good kings of the Old Testament. He tried to turn the people back to God, unlike his father and grandfather who drove them further and further away. During the reign of Josiah, he tore down the high places of of pagan worship. He destroyed idols. He drove out the false prophets of Baal. He restored the temple and he rediscovered the law that was lost. Now, Josiah... He himself and his kingdom were spared the the prophesied destruction during the time of his reign, Uh, but unfortunately, he could ultimately not save the children of Israel from themselves, as they would eventually find themselves the subject of the destruction that's prophesied in Zephaniah. The first mention of Josiah is in 1 Kings chapter 13, where there's a prophecy About his birth. So I want to read that prophecy uh, and the circumstances around it for you today. In 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, covering verses 1 through 6, says, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam, who was king at the time, was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, A son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the men of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the men of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. And the men of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as it was before. So, so far, a pretty normal warning from a man of God to a king of Israel, telling him that destruction is going to come if he doesn't shape up and change his ways. And we see the consequences of his actions immediately there where his hand is is shriveled. And he begs this prophet, hey, tell your God to restore my hand to me, please. He does, and this hand is restored. And so you would think that that might result in some lasting change. 
But if we've learned anything about the kings of Israel through our Minor Prophets series, is that that long-lasting change didn't actually happen. Picking up the story in verses 33 through 34, it says, After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people, any who would be ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut off and destroy it from the face of the earth. So I wanted to read this, this section here to kind of set the stage for the prophecy of Zephaniah. Jeroboam's actions here during this first prophecy of, of Josiah's birth perfectly demonstrates the attitude that, that the children of Israel had towards God throughout the Old Testament. You see, they were stuck in a crazy cycle of sin that would start, they, they were, they'd be close to God, but then wicked actions would infiltrate, false prophets and wicked deeds would lead to consequences or promises of consequence through prophecy and through the men of God. That would result in fear of the people that would lead to some, some, some repentance, but without long-term change, they would, of course, return to those wicked actions. And the crazy cycle would repeat. Every couple of generations, they would be put into captivity, they would be destroyed, they would be murdered, all because of the consequences of their wicked actions and refusing to learn from their own history. So now we'll get into kind of the roadmap for the book and the prophecy of Zephaniah. It's only three chapters long, but in those three chapters, all three of them touch on a promise of destruction for different groups of people. First judgment comes on Jerusalem and, and the Jewish people. Then it, it spreads and talks about the judgment on God's enemies, the nations around uh, Judea and, and Israel. And then in chapter 3, it touches on the judgment of all nations that is coming. But like the other minor prophets that, that we have been studying, it does not leave us without a remnant of hope of redemption. And we see that through the conversion of nations and finally concluding with Israel's joy and redemption. So the first section of judgment in, in this book is directed towards the people of Jerusalem. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. So this is the world that Josiah was born into. A, an, an Israel and a Judah that was full of Baal, worshiper, Baal worshippers, false idols, and wicked false prophets. However, we see the first part of this prophecy fulfilled through the actions of Josiah uh, back in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings uh, that we referenced earlier. We see that Josiah does tear down the high places and works towards purifying Jerusalem, Judea, and Israel of all the wickedness that's within its borders. Unfortunately, they were only spared during the time and reign of Josiah. Despite his best efforts, Israel only stayed intact during his lifespan and while his policies and reforms were enforced. After his death, we see the children of Israel do 
what they always did on that crazy cycle. They would turn back to those false idols, and they would turn back to the corruption. Just a few years later, after Josiah's death, Jerusalem suffers the same fate as the pagan nations would around them, and that is being utterly conquered and destroyed by the, uh, the empire of Babylon. The city would be sacked, raised to the ground, and the people would be carried away into captivity. The next section of, judge, of God's judgment would come upon his enemies, the nations that were around Israel. In Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 11, says, The Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down, each in its place, all the lands of the nations. I love the wording there, that God's going to be awesome against these enemies. The power that he is going to demonstrate in the fall and destruction of these nations is going to be awe-inspiring. And it goes on to list several of the nations uh, by name that would be destroyed uh, from this coming destruction and judgment. It mentions Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, the Cherethites, uh, Canaan, the Canaanites, or the Philistines, uh, the Cushites, and then he has a special curse on the Moabites and the Ammonites, calling them the new Sodom and the new Gomorrah of this destruction. And finally, he had a, a special place in his heart for the enemy nation of Assyria. In chapters 13 through 15, it says, He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, and he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. Herds shall lie down in her midst, all kinds of beasts, even the owl and the hedgehog, shall lodge in her capitals. A voice shall hoot in the window, devastation shall be on the threshold, for her cedar work will be laid bare. This is the exultant city that lives securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a lair of wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fists. You know that, that statement there, the city has said to itself, I am, and there is no one else. We went through a series not too long ago where we talked about the I am, the real I am. And how this kind of, of brashness in the face of God calling themselves, I am, I am the superpower, is, is just spitting in the face of God. Because we know that he is the I am of I am's. While not specifically mentioned by name, we do know that historically Babylon is the, the coming destruction for these nations. Assyria would be conquered and destroyed by that Babylonian empire along with all the nations uh, in this area. The last bit uh, of judgment in the, in the prophecy of Zephaniah zooms out one more time and covers the judgment of the entire world or all nations. Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 7 through 8, I said, surely you will feel, fear me, you will accept my correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more, they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, and to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, 
all the earth shall be consumed. Those are some mighty words. The Lord gives us one more final warning to all those that have turned from his guidance, the children of Israel and to us today, those that have turned away from him and have not returned. He makes one more final, final promise of destruction for all people from all nations who do not accept his correction. But as we mentioned, Zephaniah does not leave us without hope. As a whole, this prophecy in the book of Zephaniah is a fierce and grim book, warning about the coming destruction of Jerusalem, Babylonian dominance, and the judgment day of the Lord. But I hope that you have seen a pattern in, in the minor, minor prophets that we have been studying so far, and that is the fact that hope remains, and that he leaves us with a hope of redemption. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, it says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Now this sounds very similar to uh, something that Jesus said during his ministry. In John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, he says, But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I believe that Zephaniah and Jesus are both talking about the same event. A time that is, that is where there will neither be Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, where all nations of the earth can be blessed. A time when nationalities, languages, skin color, none of that would be a barrier between you and God any longer. We see this fulfilled in, in a couple different places. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and with the first Gentile converts in Acts chapter 10. I won't read this whole passage here, but I wanted to put it up to look at all the languages that were listed on the day of Pentecost, when the apostles and those were coming out speaking, and every nation was hearing in their own language. We have Parthians, we've had people from Mesopotamia, we have people from Rome, we have Arabians, we have you know, these people that should just be speaking this local Galatian dialect of Hebrew, yet I'm understanding them in Arabian or in Greek. Language from this moment on would no longer be a barrier between, between someone and their salvation. They can now reach God no matter what language they might have been born speaking. And of course, the gospel is then brought to the whole world through the first Gentile converts in Acts chapter 10. Chapter 10. Where Peter goes to Cornelius, and he and his whole household uh, were visited by the Holy Spirit and uh, and baptized that day. In Acts chapter ten, verses thirty-four to thirty-five, Peter opened his mouth and said, "Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him." This is the hope that we have, because I. I don't know about all of you. You may have taken 23andMe or, or one of those, those blood, uh, bloodline sites. I don't believe I have any Jewish blood in me. So without that, I would not be able to, to, to come to God. But because of these instances, because God has promised redemption for all of the world, 
I now have access to God. And so do you, because through Jesus, all of the earth shall be blessed. In the final section of this prophecy, we see at the, at the end of chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, it concludes with a promise of hope and joy. A time to come when a king would restore the kingdom that was promised. In, verse 13, in verses 14 through 15, it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. You know, I'm really glad that, that we're doing this, this topic, these studies, at this time of year. Because this is the time of year that we set aside specific time to celebrate the fulfillment of this last prophecy. The good news for you and I today is that that king that was promised, he came. And he was born about 2022-ish years ago. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is the king that was promised. And he has come not to reestablish an, an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom where he, is, he will reign as Lord forever. In conclusion this morning, overall, as, we, as we've seen, Zephaniah is a pretty grim book that's about three-fourths death, destruction, and punishment. But I hope that you see through our study this morning that, that we are not hopeless or unredeemable. Because although God has promised death and destruction for the wicked actions of the Israelites, and He has promised darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth for those of us who are disobedient, to his will. But hope remains. Like Cornelius and the first Gentile converts, humanity now has the opportunity to turn from the idols of this world and to seek the comfort and forgiveness of God. If you find yourself stuck on that same crazy cycle of sin where your wicked actions only turn to consequences and no long-lasting change, but if you're ready to make some long-lasting change in your life to turn towards God, then please come and sit on the front row. The congregation is ready to assist you as we stand and sing the song of invitation.